Okay. Well, we are starting a new, kind of like a mini-series this morning, a two-week series. It's actually a sequel to the last series that we just finished, uh, The First and the Greatest. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked the question, which of the commandments is the most important? Now, this guy wants the bottom line. <laughs> what do I need to do to please God? And Jesus' answer was, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. But he didn't stop there, did he? The guy asked for one commandment, and he gives him two. He says, and the second is like it. Uh, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what is God's to-do list? These two things, love God and love others well. If you, if, you make all, if you filter all of your choices, all of your decisions, all of your actions through these two commands, you are fulfilling what God asks of us, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, the guy that had asked this question uh, at the time of Moses Moses had given them Ten Commandments, right? Or God had given Moses Ten Commandments to give them. And then between that time and the time that that question was asked of Jesus, they had added uh, 603 other laws to it. So Jesus is saying, do this. Uh, this is what God requires of you. So this morning we're going to look at how do we love our neighbor. And, you know, we've been looking at the scripture in the Gospel of Matthew and then in Mark. And this week we're going to look at a similar story where this, these same words are found in the Gospel of Luke. And in that story, uh, expert in the law, it says, uh, asked Jesus a question. He says, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? So he's not asking, you know, what's the greatest command? He's saying, this is a life and death question. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus being the teacher that he is, uh, he doesn't answer the question. He answers the question with a question. And so he says to the man, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And the man answers him, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, Good answer. Uh, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, A plus. Enough said. But not so. The expert isn't satisfied. He asks Jesus a quibble question. He's trying to find a little wiggle room here because he hasn't loved his neighbor as himself. So he asks the question, wanting to justify himself, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? And this time Jesus doesn't answer the question with a question. Jesus answers the question with a story, right? And we all know the story. Uh, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus tells them uh, of about, about a man 
who goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when they say down, they mean down. Uh, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 850 feet below sea level. So, you know, try riding your bike up that hill, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a dangerous road geographically, but it also was a dangerous route because there were caves along the way, there were rocks and places where bandits would hide out. So people that took this route to Jericho knew that it was a dangerous route to take. They would often take a knife or some kind of weapon to protect themselves. Well, in this story, this man falls into just that kind of uh, situation. He's attacked by robbers. He's beaten. Everything is taken. It says they stripped him of his clothes and left him there for dead. And in the story, everyone knows what happens, right? The priest comes along. And uh, there looks like some hope for the poor guy. But no... Uh, this particular priest is uh, maybe like a pastor with a two-point charge. You know, they're uh, on their way to the next uh, service, and they can't. He couldn't wait and take care of this man. And then it says a Levite came, and the Levites were—they uh, helped in the temple. Uh, they often were. Uh, some of them in divisions were to take care of the utensils and that kind of thing. So kind of like a trustee. So. There's hope for this fellow, but then it turns out, no, uh, the Levite goes to the other side of the road and goes around too. Possibly the pipes are burst on the boiler or something that he's got to attend to, but he leaves the guy laying there. And then in Jesus' story, along comes a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews, so the guy that asked the question, the expert in the religious law, he wasn't <laughs> would not have been happy to have the Samaritan inserted into the story, but the Samaritan is the one who has mercy on the guy who has fallen into the hands of the robbers, and he helps the man. He uh, cleanses his wounds, he puts him on his donkey, he takes him to the hotel and cares for him overnight. In the morning, he gives the innkeeper two denarius, uh, which is equivalent of two days' wages, and says to him, take care of him. If this isn't enough, when I come back through, I'll uh, reimburse you. I'll take care of it. And so that was the story. And then Jesus ends with this question. He says to the expert in the religious law, uh, which of the three was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And this expert in the religious law couldn't bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. He simply says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you're right, go and do likewise. And, you know, this is such a great story. You, you see why uh, it's so well known. Even people that aren't particularly religious know what a good Samaritan is. And this story um, is kind of raises the bar, and it silenced the uh, lawyer for sure. And I think that we want to believe that we would be the Good Samaritan in this story if we were faced with similar circumstances, that we would be the one that would help him. But I think that we uh, are often, like the expert in the religious law, asking the question, who is my neighbor? I mean, we see things on the news like the earthquake in Nepal. We read about the 
human trafficking and things like that. We see the needs around us in our own community. We're online and all the GoFundMe requests. And it just can seem overwhelming. There's so much need. And we find ourselves asking the question, who is my neighbor? How wide of a circle do I have to grow, uh, draw? Uh, how many people do I have to include in my list of neighbors? And so this is where this religi re, uh, religious leader was. And the point of um, Jesus' story is that he's uh, targeting our hearts in this. Uh, he's throwing out the question, who is our neighbor? And he replaces it with the question, to whom will I be a neighbor? And each day we're faced with these opportunities to make the kingdom of God visible, to uh, go out of our normal routine, out of our normal route, and to help someone. But our tendency is to let someone else be the hero in the story, isn't it? And if you look closely at this parable, you discover that the the story isn't just about that we should help other people. The story is also about our tendency to make excuses, that we can see ourselves in this lawyer, and that his problem is sometimes our problem. We often justify not helping others when we could. And Jesus uses the example of the Good Samaritan to show us a person who got past the barriers to helping so that we can get past those barriers too. And so today I want to talk to you about three barriers that prevent us or get in the way of us loving our neighbors as we should. And the first barrier is prejudice. If you want to pull out your message notes, if you're someone that takes notes, the first barrier is prejudice. And we can have these whole categories of people, really, that we do not want to include in our list of neighbors. Uh, we don't want to love them. We don't want to consider them uh, a neighbor. And yet, if you look closely at Jesus' life, he loved everybody. Everyone was on his list of uh, who was a neighbor. And, you know, the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews, like, like I said. And, and to kind of understand where this expert of the law's question was coming from, you have to understand who he was. I mean, he was an expert in the law. They were the ones that interpreted the laws. They were the ones that uh, helped you understand how to put them into action. So if the law said, you're not to work on the Sabbath, then the, in, the experts in the law were the ones who interpreted that. What is, when does the Sabbath begin? Is it at dusk? Is it at sundown? Is it when it's totally dark? And so they were into the black and white details. If you're not to work on the Sabbath, how many steps can I take before I'm actually considered working? And so this man, this is where this person is coming from when he says, and who is my neighbor? Because he has some people on his list, the Samaritans and others that were despised. They didn't, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. They, they weren't on their list of people to love. So who is my neighbor? And we can kind of get a little picture into um, where, why he wants Jesus to draw a clearer line 
in Matthew 5, 43 and 45. Jesus is teaching the crowds, and he says to them, You have heard that it is said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, who do you think might have said that? (laughs) These experts in the law, they are interpreting this law. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So Jesus draws this very wide circle, and now all of a sudden new faces are appearing in the category of neighbors that we are to love. And, you know, we want to put conditions on who will be our neighbors. But the Good Samaritan loved as God loves us uh, unconditionally. So the antidote that we see in the scripture is um, to prejudice is prayer. The antidote to prejudice is prayer. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those that you don't consider to be somebody that you can love. And it's amazing when you do that, how God begins to work in your heart, sometimes in their heart, and uh, the kinds of things that you see unfold when you begin to ask God to help you love somebody that you don't love. And, you know, um, you may not see this side of heaven, the outcome of that, but God says, pray for those that persecute you. So we know that there'll be some kind of reward for um, being obedient to God's command. And then the second barrier is lack of compassion or um, being, being complacent. Now, the, we, we aren't told the reason that the priest and the Levite walked around this guy, but they certainly lacked compassion. They lacked mercy. They were complacent. They hoped someone else would help the guy. And lack of compassion can keep us from helping others as well. And one of the things that I hear when I see somebody that has been caring for somebody well, and I make a comment about it or acknowledge it in some way or thank them, what they often say is, um, I was just doing what I would want someone to do for me if I was in that situation. Or they'll say something like, I I was just thinking about what it'd be like to be in their shoes. And those kinds of uh, uh, responses, uh, that's sympathy or empathy, where we're putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and then deciding to do something. So the antidote to complacency is sympathy plus action. Or if you've been in that situation yourself, then empathy plus action. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and ask, what would I want them to do if I were in that position? And then do something. And Jesus told us how to be a neighbor, didn't he? And the golden rule in uh, Luke 6:31, where he says, do to others as you would have them do to you, right? The golden rule. And, you know, it's easy to think, I really can't fix their problem, and so we don't do anything. We walk to the other side of the road. Maybe the priest said, I'm a priest, not a doctor. You know, I can't take care of him. I can't help him. But in reality, we can do something. 
Um, Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And overcoming complacency and compassion requires that we put ourselves in that person's place and ask those kinds of questions. What would I want others to do if I were in their place? And then do the best you can to do that. Then the third barrier is fear. Fear works against love. And, you know, uh, again, we don't know for sure why the priest and Levite didn't stop, but we know that it was dangerous to be on that road. And, you know, you come, a, come upon somebody who's been beat up, your first thought is probably, where are the people who did this, and are they waiting here for me too? And so it may have been fear that caused them to pass this guy by. And I think that fear comes into play in our lives as too. We often have opportunities to help someone, but it means taking a risk and um, to do that. And of course, we want to use wisdom. Uh, you know, I'm not saying stop and pick up hitchhikers and don't go home and say the pastor said uh, this. Uh, use wisdom, use discernment, but don't let fear keep you from acting when you could and um, when it would be for the good. 1 John 4.18 says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And I think that we can make all kinds of excuses uh, for not being a neighbor to the people that we come across in our day. We can be afraid that um, they're going to, they don't really want our help. Uh, I saw a guy getting into his car, he seemed to be struggling at the bank, and I'm like, you know, should I help him, or would he be insulted by that? And so we don't help, because we're afraid of rejection. I think also we have those occasions when we're afraid to go and sit with a lonely friend, or to mow somebody's yard who's sick, because we think, if I mow their yard, I'm not going to have time to mow my yard tonight. Or we don't give to something like the earthquake in Nepal because we won't have the money that we need to pay our own bills. But love acts. Uh, I like this scripture in James where James says, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it's, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Loving our neighbors, caring for others, often involves some kind of risk, often takes time and resources. The antidote that James gives us to fear is faith. And, you know, it's uh, so easy to have good intentions uh, to help somebody or you think about them a lot, but you never call them or let them know that. And uh, good intentions don't help people. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to confess here. Something that happens in my life frequently, or more frequently, I guess, than 
I wish it did. But I'll see a need like the thing in Nepal. This is an example. I saw what happened there. I thought, I'd like to give $100 to that. And then it happened that in April, um, our taxes are due, quarterly taxes are due. Our accountant had messed up, so we weren't paying enough over the last year. We had to pay back taxes. Our house insurance for the year came due. Our car insurances for the year came due, all in April. And then I'm looking at, I really don't have the money right now to send $100 to Nepal. So what do I do? I didn't send anything. <laughs> and do you ever do that? I mean, like you think I should call this friend. Uh, they, it'd be, they're lonely or they're hurting or whatever. I should call them. But then maybe they're a little bit of a talker. So you think, I don't really have time right now. And so you put it off or you don't do it at all. You do nothing, right? Instead of like putting a little note into the uh, a card in the mail to them, let them know you're thinking about them at last, at least. Because we can't do what we'd like to do, we do nothing. Instead of asking the question, well, I can't do that, what can I do? What can I do that would show that I love my neighbor? And, you know, good intentions don't help people. We went this um, yesterday to visit someone in the hospital in Kalamazoo, and we were uh, driving back home and went past the church, and they had a sign, you know, the signs out front like we have. What they had on their sign was a quote from Benjamin Franklin that said, well done is better than well said. <laughs> Isn't that true? Well done is so much more helpful than well said. What we say we're going to do uh, is different than um, actually doing something. And maybe the question to ask ourselves when we can't do what we would like to do is, what can I do? And then do that. Doing something is better than doing nothing. And we have to get past the barriers to loving our neighbor. And Jesus gives us this commandment. He says that it's akin to the commandment to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the plumb line that we are to live by. Love trumps everything. This is the question we're to ask ourselves. Is what I'm doing loving? Is this the loving thing to do? And, and the challenge of this story then... Um, is that the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is not something that we know at the beginning of the day. It's only something that we discover as we go through our day. When we get up in the morning, we do not know who will be our neighbor during that day. And that's one of the things that makes following Jesus Christ so challenging and exciting. Every day is an opportunity to see God do marvelous things, to bless others through us, and to build up our faith. Because when we step out in faith like that, there's always some kind of an outcome. And um, our efforts, uh, we see that we've loved, when we love someone as ourselves. But this takes a shift in perspective. Rather than asking, who is my neighbor, we're invited to start our day with the question, God, open my eyes today to see my neighbor and love them as you love me. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you. I uh, thank you for uh, each person here. And 
Lord, whether the needs are physical needs or spiritual needs, you give us opportunities every day to be a neighbor. And I pray that you will give us eyes this week and to see the people that you love and that you've put in our path to be a neighbor to. And then, God, give us the knowledge, the wisdom, and the courage to be the kind of neighbor we would like them to be to us. And, Lord, um, we want to honor you in everything we do, so we ask that you would be glorified in all of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.